sit down and buckle up. It's time for the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome to another episode of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Hey, I'm Nate Larkin. I'm here with Aaron Porter, and we got another guy riding shotgun this week. Uh, Elisha Lloyd-Jones is joining us. Uh, welcome, Elisha. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you already know our guest. we got a great guest coming up, and you've been hanging around Samson for a while. How long have you been with Samson? Um, so I've been in a local group for about five or six years, I think, and um, mm-hmm. then started doing virtual meetings probably about two and a half years ago. And um, so, yeah, I'm just happy to be walking this journey with uh, fellow travelers. Oh, man. That, well, thanks for joining us on the podcast. Hey, Aaron, uh, we're in the middle of I don't know where we are. We're, we're someplace in this series of questions from Albuquerque. I don't remember how many questions you got that night. We were in Albuquerque. We've got one, two, uh, three, four, five questions left. Okay. All right. So, so do you think we ought to do questions from Albuquerque today? I think that that's a, probably a good way to start this episode would be to start with, uh, with uh, questions. from Sean Parks, bring us in. It's questions from Albuquerque. Questions from Albuquerque here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Okay. Our question today from our friend from Albuquerque says, Nate and other men I've come alongside have told me to cast my burden on Christ. I'm not a new Christian, but I still don't know what in the hell you're talking about. (laughs) He didn't say it exactly like that. Uh, He said, but I still don't know what that looks like. I don't know if it should have a physical reaction in your body or not i'd really like some concrete instructions yeah yeah. so fix this all up nate (laughs) well you know there is a a practice uh in 12-step recovery in some corners of 12-step where there is kind of a a physical way to actually do this so you've got a concern uh you you get yourself a soup can this is a good old practice i don't know who made this up but it's been done hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of times. You take an old soup can and you put a new label on it and you just call it the God can. And uh, you've got a concern, a worry, and anxiety. You write it on a piece of paper. You fold that paper up and you physically put it in the damn can and just say, it, it, it's, it's an acknowledgement. It's a physical acknowledgement that says, I could spend my time and waste my energy trying to control something I cannot control. However, I'm going to accept the limits of my mortality and I'm going to put some faith in the power of an omnipotent God and I'm going to give it to him. That's a that's one practical way to do it. So when you come across something that you can't, you put it in the God can. That's it. <laughs> I can't, but God can. Okay, but let me let me say this on top of that. All right. We are we are vastly different kinds of people. Mm-hmm. And how our our burdens, which could be anxieties, could be shame, all that it, it hits us differently. So there are some yeah. people that are just like 
loop thinkers all the time. And that can be really hard to do, yeah. you know, and, and so uh, other people seem to be able to get past anxieties and shame faster. At least consciously. At least consciously. Thank you. Right. That's that's a lovely thing to say. Um, but you, he's calling all of you the suppressors, the pusher downers. Um, so the God can is still a good idea, but it's okay to do it more than once with the same burden. In oh, fact, yeah. oh, if it's a real burden, I'd be kind of surprised if you only put the same one in the can once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree. Some some other thoughts on this. Uh, I think casting our burdens on Christ has a built-in mm, problem because we think, mm -hmm. oh, it's just between me and Christ, and not that I can cast my burdens on Christ in the presence and company of another man. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the best and deepest times I have felt relieved of burdens and entrusted them to Christ is because I've been doing that with another person or a community. Well, this brings to mind a very familiar uh, passage in Galatians chapter six, I think starting verse two, it says something It starts out this way. Um, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. So, uh, and that's what I'm doing when I share my anxiety, my concern, all the time I share my brothers, I'm allowing them to carry it, help me carry it. But here's the interesting thing. Three verses later, it says, for every man must carry his own his load. load. Yeah. <laughs> and, and both are true. I mean, in the end, in the middle of the night, uh, you know, it is my burden and part of it, it's, uh, it's my decision whether or not I'm going to share it, whether or not I'm going to hide it. Uh, in the end, uh, I cannot evade responsibility. It's always going to be my responsibility. I can't put my responsibility onto my brothers, but they can help carry the weight of my responsibility. And that just because you're using the body of Christ does not take away from you casting your burden onto Christ. Yeah. Elisha, are you thinking of any uh, things on well, practical I think that, ways? Well, I think the beauty of that, what you just said, is that, you know, my burden is not really so much a burden for you. You know, it's it's something that you mm -hmm. can help me with. But I think so often um, we are hesitant to uh, share um, because we don't want to weigh our brothers down. And oh, um, yeah. But it's a blessing to me when somebody reaches out and, you know, shares what's weighing heavily on them. And, and, um, yeah, I can feel some weight of that, but it's not necessarily a heavy weight. It's something that's easy, uh, much easier for me to carry or help carry than it is. It is for them. Cause I, I <laughs> I'm not facing the consequences that they are either. Right. So, um, but yeah, just such a, um, and I love, I love what you said about, you know, um, that idea that when I reach out to my brothers, when I reach out to a Silas, um, that that is actually me unloading that burden on Christ. It's, it's Christ with flesh on and, um, you know, going that, that, that might be mo much more effective than be, me going in my closet and, and, um, you know, just having a Jesus moment, not that there's anything wrong Ang with that. Anguishing yeah. alone. Yeah. Yeah. Well, 
Well, the last thing that I want to address from this question was, uh, I don't know if it should have a physical reaction in your body or not. So right now, let's uh, say, let us beware of shooting on ourselves. Right. And I will say from my childhood, I grew up in a church that did not trust emotions. So mm-hmm. everything was supposed to be done. And if it had an emotional or physical reaction to yourself, you're probably charismatic and that's suspicious. <laughs> so, so that's how I grew up. Um, <laughs> so for me personally, it took a long time to say, yeah, if this is true, if my burdens can be placed at the foot of the cross and I can step away without it, I should feel lighter. Mm-hmm. Why would I not feel yeah. something different? That doesn't mean I won't go back to the cross and pick it up again and go run around a few laps and feel weighed down again. So again, <laughs> I got to come back to the God can. Yeah. But is there any reason that we would say that we wouldn't feel differently when we actually do this from the heart? Yeah. Yeah. Well, we are, I think it is true, and I'm becoming more and more aware of this. We are embodied spirits. And, uh, you know, uh, physical, you know, when I'm physically sick, it has a spiritual effect. <laughs> when I'm spiritually sick, it has a physical effect. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I do spiritually beneficial things, then uh, that has a positive effect on my body. Whether I'll actually feel it, I don't know. I don't know how good my sensory circuits are. Because much like, even though I was raised Pentecostal, mm-hmm. uh, I still, uh, I was told what to feel yeah. rather than asked what I felt. Mm-hmm. And that's an entirely different question. So, uh, and, and let's, and let's add to this. That is not meant to shame anybody who is trying to cast their burdens on Christ and are not having physical reactions, but if it is not making an emotional difference, then you should be excited. This is showing you that there's there's probably a piece missing. Is there a forgiveness of self or others piece missing? You know, go go back. It's telling you there's still some work to be done. So don't be ashamed by it, but let it teach you and lead you to the place where you can can really cast that burden on Christ through his body. That's good. Hey, Aaron, before we go to the guest, uh, I want to tell you, uh, did I tell you where I went last weekend? No. Uh, Allie, Allie and I, it was, uh, I just got back from sleeping. Oh, was your, it, it was so, your birthday. Is this a birthday story? Happy birthday, birthday, by the way. Yeah, thank you. Okay, thank all you. right. On my birthday, my 67th birthday, uh, Allie and I went to hear Garrison Keeler. He, uh, oh, okay. He of Prairie Home Companion. Uh, he who uh, fell afoul of the Me Too movement and lost his gig. Uh, he who is now 81 freaking years old. Uh, he was playing. He said, uh, when you're 81, there aren't too many things you get to do for the first time. And this was the first time he'd ever played in a cave. We went to hear him at the caverns in eastern Te- East Tennessee. So we're in a cave, a few hundred people. Uh, and this guy, it was just wonderful. He's old. He's, uh, I, I, I think he's going blind. 
He's uh, not too steady on his feet. He had a big walking stick, uh, but sharp as a tack. He did a two-hour show uh, on his feet. Uh, he, he did not go into any details, but he did say, I've made more mistakes than anybody else in this room. Um, but he had wonderful stories, and he led us in singing. We sang patriotic songs. We sang hymns. Uh, he opened with a prayer that he sang that I kind of love. It went something like this. My only request is that you exist. For if, for I will be really pissed if after all of this, I should have been an atheist. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> anyway. So was it great? Was it amazing? It was, it was, it was awesome. Uh, best birthday ever. And then Allie and I, we rented a little cabin there uh up in mon eagle and we spent a couple of days together and it was it was beautiful, wonderful but uh yeah i got to hear one of my idols that the uh, storyteller of unmatched gifting nobody's ever been able to do it i don't think well in our oh, life no. what what a great birthday gift i know you had told me a while ago that you were going to do that but i didn't know it was happening last weekend so i'm so excited yeah, yeah. that it, it lived great. up to your expectations and you know what? Our guest is going to live up to our expectations as well in just a few moments when we return here on the Pirate Bunk Podcast. This episode of the Pirate Bunk Podcast is sponsored by LifeWorks Counseling. Our good friends, Roan and Eva Hunter and their son, Roe, are not just members of the Samson Society, Sarah Society. They are also trauma-informed, certified sex addiction therapists with a tremendous amount of experience. Well, they and their team of counselors and recovery coaches are based in Madison, Mississippi, but thanks to the internet, they're able to work with people who live almost anywhere. So to find out more about what LifeWorks Counseling can do for you as an individual or as a couple or as a family or to register for one of their upcoming intensives go to lifeworks.ms lifeworks.ms now welcome back to the Monk podcast how fortunate we are to have with us as our guest this week carver brown uh, who I, he carries uh, so many name tags around. I'm not even going to try to introduce him. Carver, how would you, what's the elevator speech? How do you describe yourself? When somebody says, you know, comes up to you uh, at a party and says, so Carver, what, what do you do? I, I become evasive. <laughs> I want to I I turn, I say, well, I do a lot. What do you do? And no, so, okay, and, and right. the, yeah, yeah. Well, but the reality is, listen, I'm a guy in long term recovery from the disease of addiction. That means that since June the 14th of 2004, I haven't had mm. the need to take a drink or take a drug or marry a stranger, which was a <laughs> big that was a big issue for me. I'm just telling yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. But I am. I'm a, I, I became then a recovery coach, a recovery coach trainer, a structured family recovery counselor. I'm a love first interventionist. I'm onboarded with LifeWorks 
And so I get to do coaching with some of the wonderful clients there. I get to attend Samson retreats. I did one. That's where I met <laughs> you. But here's the most important thing of all. I have been sober all morning long. <laughs> and, it's, and, it, and it's been a long morning. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything's possible. Wow. I, I love I love that way to introduce your stuff. That's awesome. That's awesome. So if you wouldn't mind, start out, give us a, a little bit of a backstory, uh, a, a peek at the long and winding road that got you where you are. You didn't just decide, get up one day and say, oh, you know what, I think I'll become a recovery coach and, uh, and an intervention uh, specialist. Uh, yeah. No, I think I'll no. devote my life to the service of others. Today. No, so yeah, beginning, no. Beginning now. I did not get here sliding in off a rainbow. <laughs> I, had, I had to i had to get my last great ass whooping is is yeah. what is what alcohol and drugs and pornography and just i just had to get beaten into submission uh -huh. and and it led me into it i ended up going into a a, a residential mental health facility just wow. to try to get people off my back. I was broken physically. I was spiritually bankrupt. And and I and I was just I was just done. And and that was the beginning. That was my surrender uh, on mm -hmm. the floor of a treatment center where I, I crawled to the edge of this plastic wrapped mattress. I folded my hands together. I I, I want to never forget moving my elbows into that mattress as I leaned forward and feeling it crackled. Mm -hmm. And I begged God to save me. I, I, mm -hmm. I had ruined my life. My whole world was crumbling around me. And, and imperceptible to me, that was the beginning of recovery, was, yeah. Was, yeah. was this surrender on the floor of the treatment center. Of course, to me, Absolutely nothing had changed, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and I, I left there. I didn't know what I was going to do. They, they suggested that I go to 12-step meetings. I did. Um, I got a sponsor. I took the 12 steps, um, I, and, and God started peeling me like an onion. Mm -hmm. All of a sudden, just things in my life that didn't fit with this recovery journey just slowly started peeling away from me. And the things that I needed in my life that were going to be, were going to enhance my recovery journey started adding layers to me. So yeah, yeah. it was a shrinking and then a rebuilding. And, and that led me to volunteering at a men's transitional housing, eventually becoming employed at a treatment center. Um, I left the career path I was on and, uh, and 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 that that led me to, to to just starting to rebuild my life and dedicating my life to trying to help people. Mm. Yeah, mm. and so so the journey was, you know, I, I was tasked with building an alumni program at a residential treatment center, which I didn't know anything. How I, I asked them, they they said, "We want you to be our alumni coordinator." I said, "Is it full time?" They said, "Yes." <laughs> I said, I'll take it, but what is it? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so, so I had to learn. Well, lo and behold, and I was a, I was a couple of years sober. Lo and behold, the place had 
one of the tracks was a sex addiction track, and the mm. man who was running it was Dr. Patrick Corns. Oh, man. And so I all of a sudden recognized that I had just, I was had met a genius, and I latched up close to him, and I attended every lecture, every mm. workshop. I, mm. I, was, I was an employee, but I... I, I approached it like I was one of the clients and yeah, that yeah. helped me to see more of the global aspect of what my addiction was really doing to me. I yes. could see the addiction interaction and how it wasn't just substance use disorder. It was, it was family of origin issues, but it was also, it was also sex addiction it was eating disorder. It was mm -hmm. what I came to realize was of the 300, over 300 12 step anonymous fellowships, I qualified for 172. <laughs> but who, who had the yeah. time? Car yeah. <laughs> Hold on, Carver. I want to stop you. Carver Brown, you just said, I'm just going to use both your names all the time. I just like your name a lot. I, I like funny. saying Carver Brown. So Carver Brown, you, you were sober, you were an employee, but you were treating it like you were participating. Yes. There is something in that for guys that have been in recovery or been at Samson for a long time, a mindset where you weren't becoming an expert and you were still gaining the benefit that every man's journey is a part of your journey. Can you yes. talk about that mindset a little bit more? You know, like a child, I was still learning because what what Dr. Carnes helped me with was to see, and I guess I already kind of knew this, that that I was broken in a way down to a cellular level. That mm -hmm. that I was, I mean, the things that had happened to me that had brought me to the journey I was, what I was dealing with was generational shame. Mm-hmm. It had been passed down to my parents. It had been passed down to me. And when I, when I came into the sex addiction track with these men, I, I realized we're, we're all children. We're, we mm. were all little boys. We were trying to fill the, the God-sized holes in our lives. And, and we had tried to fill it with all of these things. And I came to realize that there was just no cheap and easy solution to that, that this was going to be a lifelong process and that I couldn't do it alone. And that honestly, I had to do it. And they, this is what you developed. I had to do it in community with other broken men. And that if we stayed connected together and if we practiced, if we practiced our surrenders together, if we shared our stories and our truth together, if we continued to meet together with frequency, that what would be the miracle was we would all heal and get better together. And, mm -hmm. and I realized that it wasn't a destination. There was yeah. not, not going to be any place where I was going to get the gold star. You know, I wasn't going to achieve the degree that finally said I could stop going to class. No, 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 no. <laughs> that I was going to be a student for the rest of my life and that I was going to slowly, slowly, incrementally get better, but I was going to have to stumble. 
I was going to have to come to the realization that I was going to do this wrong. And mm -hmm. I had to be okay with the fact that I was going to mess it up along the way. But just like watching the stock market, where some days you feel like you will never have to work again, and other days, you know, you feel like that you'll never find two nickels to rub together. If I mm -hmm. took a step back and looked at it over a period of time, I was getting better. And, mm -hmm. and, and here's the last part of that. I was going to be able to bring a thousand men along with me. Yeah. Yeah. Did that answer that? Did I, did I, did I, was, was that it was, political? It was great. That, <laughs> yeah. Carver Brown, do you know what I find very interesting whenever Nate and I go and do weekends or 48 hour walks together? Somebody has to say, what do you find interesting? What Please is that? Tell us. <laughs> <laughs> Please. I, we get to the part of the weekend where we talk about amends, mm -hmm. and I always think that that seems like the most obvious part of the path, the most mm -hmm. obvious step, right? You, you make up for bad shit you did. And Nate always says something that makes it more complicated and more clear at the same time. And over the years, I've kind of come to realize this is not a simple part of the journey, and it's kind of a terrifying part of the journey for many of us. Mm -hmm. Can you talk to us about making amends? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You know, except when to do so would injure them or others. And of course, yeah. I'm a other. <laughs> I'm oh, one, yeah. I'm one. I'm, <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to injure me either. But I need to I need to honestly do do what I do. Okay, well here's what I learned. So so I do a workshop. I've I've been blessed to do a workshop that I've gone around the country doing. And I've taken I lost I lost track at seven thousand men and women that I had taken through this workshop, through taking the twelve steps and doing it in the way that it was done back in the nineteen forties. Mm -hmm. And and so so one of the things, there was interviews done by the men and women who got sober in the 1940s, and as many as they could find who were sponsored by Dr. Bob, one of the co-founders of AA, they found close to 100, and they were interviewed. And, and this is supported in the big book Alcoholics Anonymous and in the Al-Anon 12 Steps and and 12 Traditions, and in, in SA, and SLAA, and Debtors Anonymous, and Adult Children of Alcoholics Anonymous. Anyway, so the four ways amends were done. Four ways amends were done. The first one was a direct amend, and that was knee to knee, nose to nose, here's what I did, and here's how I'm, here I, I want to repair. But here's the interesting thing. That was only done for financial repair. Direct amends in the 1940s were only done when money needed to be repaid because you didn't have the money to pay it back, so you had to make a payment plan. Now, mm -hmm. that didn't mean that they didn't have conversations with their families. They did. They sat down with the families and, frankly, analyzed the past as they now saw it. That's a line from the Big Book of AA. So we had to come to the realization that Having a conversation doesn't repair anything. Think about yeah. that. 
What's the root of the word amend is to repair or to fix or to mend something. Conversations are appropriate. Apologies are appropriate. But conversations and apologies don't, don't fix what's broken. What's broken? Me. I'm what's broken. I've broken the relation. Now, I'm not fully, completely, 100% responsible, but I'm responsible for my part in what I've done. So here's the way. So the second way amends were done is, is living amends. And how did they go about making a living amend? They changed the way they lived. They prayed every day on their knees. That's what we do. We pray on our knees and ask God to keep us sober or in recovery for the day. We attend our meetings with like-minded men regularly. We are, we are conspicuously absent by our inattendance. <laughs> we, mm -hmm. we are known for not, if we're not there. We, that's, how, that's how often we attend. And then the number three part is we share from the heart. We tell the truth about what's going on inside of us. And by doing those three things, we are slowly repairing what's been damaged that we have the control over fixing, and that's ourselves. Mm -hmm. So, we, so er, this is what I talk to the men about that I take through this. Every time you attend your meeting, you're making an amend to yourself and, the, and, and to your spouse and the people you love. Every time you pray and ask God to keep you sober for the day or in recovery for the day, you're making an amend to yourself and to the people you love and the people you've harmed. Every time that you, you share, you tell the truth about what's going on in your life, you're making an amend. So we live the amends. The third way amends were done was called an in-kind amend which were a substitutionary men. Some of us are violent. I'm a volunteer in the prison systems, and I take men through this recovery workshop, and that's part of my amend for the things that I did that were against the law that I got away with. It's an in-kind amend. The last one is letters to those who cannot be seen, but the thing is that's not specifically said is the letters were never mailed. Mm. You don't mail the letter and you don't keep the letter. The way they did it in the 1940s, they wrote to the person they had harmed, who may not be still alive or may be inappropriate to contact. They put it in an envelope with the first name on it, with no address, no return address, and no postage, and they dropped it in mailboxes. And it went where it needed to go right to the person's heart. So in the 1940s, the way amends were done, the way I guide men to make amends is we change the way we live, we make a living amends, and we write, we write lots of letters that we never, that we never mail. Mm. And so that's the simplicity of it. It can get more complicated, but we what, need to what, keep what it are simple. Some, what are some key mistakes people end up making when they enter into a men's work? Oh, my gosh. They go running out trying to apologize to everybody they think they'd harm. But one of the key amends it, uh, mistakes they make is they don't talk it over with somebody first. They, yeah. So, so you know, there was a guy who was relatively smart. His name was Einstein. He was relatively. I'm just uh -huh. relatively yeah. smart. And that's, so, that's the theory. Yeah, that's the theory. That is the theory. And so he said, you can't solve a problem with the same mind that created the problem. So if I'm the guy that created the problem, I can't think my way out of it. If I've got a damaged relationship and I'm trying to go to that person without talking it over first, 
I'm going to, without realizing it, I'm going to bury the hook into the amend. It's going to be a sell job rather than a true amend. I'm trying to gain a relationship back. And that's not an amend. An, a, a true amend is giving up the power, not trying to hold on to the power. Mm-hmm. The other mistake I see is texting amends. <laughs> hey Carver, I have a question for you. I got an opportunity to hear you talk about this back at the uh, LifeWorks Intensive, and when you shared what you just shared about those, you know, four types of amends that were done back then, it just revolutionized because I just I never I, I had always tried to wrap my brain around this concept of amends, and I think I said this to you in a previous conversation, but I get the opportunity to talk to a lot of guys in Samson and seems like there's two different types of guys. So there's the, there's the one guy you talk to and he's like, I just don't understand. You know, it's, I've been sober for 30 days. You know, I was cheating on my wife for 20 years, but you know, I told her I came clean. I've been sober for 30 days and she's still upset and I can't figure out why she can't get over it. Right. And that's the guy you want to look at and say, you know, you're going to have to do as much as it takes, as long as it takes to repair this relationship. And hopefully, you know, it'll, the, the repair will happen. And then there's the other guy on the other side of the spectrum and you run into him and you're like, Oh, what are you doing today? Oh, I'm on my way to get a double arm sec to me. What? Yeah. Well, my wife told me yesterday that, you know, she'd feel safer if I just didn't have arms because it'd be harder for me to act out. So, you know, and I'm committed to doing whatever it takes. So um, I'm going to go get both my arms cut off today. Right. And, um, and so, it seems like most of the literature that's written toward, you know, especially when it comes to betrayal trauma and that kind of thing, it seems like it's geared toward the guy who's, you know, the first guy where it's like this idea that like, you just need to do everything and anything. But then you have this guy on the other side of the spectrum who probably leans more toward codependency. And that's been, you know, a thing for him for a long time. And so Mm -hmm. the concept of, restitution um, starts to look like reparations and amends kind of, you know, is interpreted as this codependency thing. And so I'm curious what your kind of, like if you encounter those two types of different people um, and how you would kind of guide them into this process of amends um, with those kind of different profiles. Thank you, Elisha. Well, the the first guy, the first thought I had was just wrapping my arms around the guy and telling him how adorable he is. (laughs) Just, you are just delightful. I don't know if anybody's told you this, but I'm going to be the first one today. You are, you are just wonderful. God bless you for rushing ahead. You know, if the first thought I had was, you know, I, I would, uh, when I was working with uh, Pat Carnes at the treatment center, they were doing, you know, these disclosures, you know, where they were. And so guys would come to me, what do you think about disclosure? I would tell them that's not a step. Mm-hmm. That's not, yeah. a, that's a therapeutic process that should only be done by a licensed therapist. You know, there's no, there's no disclosure step. You know, mm-hmm. so, you know, so stop trying to heal yourself by, you know, by dumping, you know, everything on and and stop trying to traumatize your wife for your own healing, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. So what's 
broken. So, you know, so we need to come clean. And, and, you know, and Nate, in your story, you know, the way you went about it, I mean, you know, this is just so touching to me. We need to come clean, but we need to do this with guidance. We need to have guidance. We need to be close to our sponsor, close to our therapist, if we have one, and for heaven's sakes, close to God to be guided. And rather than go about this selfishly, to try to save myself from the pit of this problem. So once I come to the realization that I need guidance and I need to be guided through the process, that's when I've got to have courage. And, and I have to recognize that there are kind of two different people that we're going to encounter along the way of the amends process. The one is going to be the person that just wants the best for us. You know, the, the, the person that, is, is, that loves us, that, that is excited about our recovery and is going to celebrate the changes that we don't talk about, we demonstrate. We mm -hmm. don't talk about this stuff. We don't make promises, heavens. We do. This is not, there's no chapter in the big book into thinking, but there is a chapter <laughs> into, into action. It's all about action, and it's never about promises. They've heard the words. Don't waste your breath. You show what you're going to do. So people that see the change will celebrate the changes that were demonstrated. On the other hand, there are unhealthy people in our lives, and, and the unhealthy people in our lives want revenge. And here's the thing I tell the men is that we did not get sober to become doormats for anyone. We did the deal. We own up to our responsibility of what we did, but we are not here to be abused by anyone. And if someone wants to be angry with us, they have every right to be angry. But I have every right not to hold space with that. I have every right to protect myself. I have every right to honor the journey that I am on. Does this make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, and it's when I hear you say that so much of the revenge, whether or not the other person's thinking of that comes in the form of, if I've hurt other people, I feel like I owe to them being drugged back into guilt and shame anytime they need it for their sake. Mm -hmm. And I think what you're saying is really important that that's not something that I owe. No, but no. When we're, when we're struggling with shame, man. Yeah. It sure feels deeply like we're supposed to. That's right. And we got to the whole thing. So you've just hit on a huge part of the entire recovery process is about shame reduction. Yes. So hopefully, God willing, by the time that we've gotten to the amends part, we've already done an inventory. We've mm -hmm. already shared our inventory with our with our Silas or with our sponsor. And you know, God willing that at that point we've been given the the forgiveness, the forgiveness that has been passed down. 
you know, so we say to the men, you know, at the end, after what I do is what was done to me after I share my stories and I hear the stories of the men, I pause to say, you know, I want you to know that you are a good man, but you've suffered under the lash of a terrible disease. In some cases, somebody else's terrible disease, and in some cases, both. But it caused you to do some things you would have never done if it hadn't have been that way. And because of that, you are forgiven. And here's the way the forgiveness piece works. The men in recovery all over this planet, they all forgive you. The men in your group, we all forgive you. I certainly forgive you. And most importantly, God forgives you because you're good men, but we've suffered under the lash of this terrible disease that we didn't ask to have. You know, there's not a man I've ever encountered that at career day ran up to the attic booth begging to be signed up. <laughs> had, had, hadn't run into that yet. But, but we got it. It was passed down. It was generationally passed down to us, and I got it, you know, and, 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 and yet, and yet, I needed to be forgiven, and I needed to have that forgiveness imparted onto me, and then I, in turn, passed that forgiveness on to the next man so that we can heal and get better together. And then we identify the things we need to change. We make a commitment to make that change. And then we look to the, the repairs that need to be made to myself and to the people I love. And I need to do everything I can to repair the, my damaged self and bring myself whole back into relationship with the people that love me and the people that I love by showing up telling the truth, you know, say what I mean, mean what I say, and don't say it mean. <laughs> hey, hey, Nate, what what's yeah. going through your mind as, as Carver Brown is talking about this? Well, I mean, I, I am just loving this. I mean, this is, this is hitting, uh, you know, it, it hits every right note for me. You've mentioned this workshop that you've taken thousands of men through. I, I assume it's the one where we, we, we do all 12 steps in a, in a single day. Is that that's, that's the one. I'll tell you, 1999, uh, I was one year into recovery. I was running out of S, uh, sex groups, and I was also going to AA groups. I got myself a sponsor, even though I had no intention to stop drinking. I was lying a little bit there. And he took me to a workshop. Uh, in Nashville, it was led by a guy in his 90s, James something or other, who was one of the final surviving members of the uh, uh, Oxford group in Akron from which AA sprang. And he told stories of the early days, and, and he actually took us through the 12 steps. There, there was an auditorium full of people on long tables. We sat across from each other. Sponsor and sponsee, hundreds of us. And uh, he said that back in the day, you couldn't go to the meeting until you'd done the 12 steps. And then you got a card that let you into the group. Um, it, and I, that was so helpful to me in getting some traction. 
it, it was the inspiration for our creation years later of the 48 Hours of Frankness. Where what, we weren't quite so ambitious. We weren't going to do it in one day. We did it in two. But kind of do a, a quick you know, trip down the... Uh, talk some more, will you, about that workshop, uh, you know, your experience of it in the role as a facilitator and as a participant. Uh, see if you can demystify it for us a little bit. I'd be glad to. His name was James Houck, and he was that's it. And he was traveling with a man named Wally Patton, and yep. Wally went on to write a book called Back to Basics. And yep. in the book Back to Basics, he talks about well, he wrote it as a as a history book about the beginner meetings of the nineteen forties. Mm -hmm. And so when I got that that job at the at the treatment center where I met Pat Carnes and they said, you know, they wanted me to build this alumni program and I didn't know how to do it. They said, well, we'll send you out to the Betty Ford center out in California because we want you to build for us what they have out there. So I flew out to Palm desert. I, I met the brilliant people at the Betty Ford center. And I, I asked them, um, what are you doing to keep the, the clients and the alumni all connected together? And they said, Oh, well, we're doing this new workshop. It's called Back to Basics, where you take all 12 steps in one day. Being the visionary that I am, I said, well, you can't do that. <laughs> how are you going to do all your amends in a day? This is not, you can't, this is, and they said, oh, no, no. No, there's a man named Wally Patton who wrote a book, and he's been here, and he started it going. And, 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 and this is what she said that changed my life. She says, and it's part of our treatment plan. Now, I knew oh. that that meant that every client that went through the Betty Ford Center at that time was doing this workshop, and I had never heard of it. Mm -hmm. And the thought I had was, this is going to change recovery in Mississippi, where I'm from, because I've never heard of this. And if this is true, what these brilliant people are saying, then this is, gonna, this is a game changer. Now, what I didn't realize was, yeah, it was a game changer because it was going to change me. Mm -hmm. I flew I flew back to Mississippi. I went to the CEO and I, I told her exactly, oh, this is this thing they're doing. We're going to have to do it. And she went, oh, my gosh, we're going to start doing this. Of course, I, I instantly panicked because I had just put I had attached my new career path to something I had never done. So I, I panicked. I thought, oh, great. What if this sucks? And now I'll be back to being a barely employed yoga instructor. You know, thanks a lot. So I, I, I went to Wally's website, www.aabacktobasics.org, and I found Wally's calendar in there. And I saw that in two weeks he was going to be doing one of these workshops in Austin, Texas. So I grabbed my sponsor, we jumped in the car, and we drove to Austin. And I took the workshop from Wally, and I had a spiritual experience of the simplicity of this thing. And I said, Wally, I need, I need to start doing this at a treatment center. And he said, oh my gosh, I will overnight you the leader guide. Two weeks later, I did my very, very first Back to Basics with a group of men and I kept good doing. And so the treatment center let me go to all the different groups doing this workshop. And the mm -hmm. people just fell in love with it. And then the people would get would go back home mm -hmm. all over the country and get sober. 
And then they would call me up and they would say, hey, could you come to Kansas City and do this for my home group? Could you come to Atlanta? I I went to Fairbanks and did it. You know, could you go and do? And so I went to the CEO and she said, we'll send you. This is an outreach for the treatment center. We'll send you. And so they started flying me all over the country doing this workshop. And then I was doing it with every client that went through the treatment center for 10 years. And then I started volunteering in the prison systems. And then Mm -hmm. it just took on a life of its own. I'm doing one next week, you know, um, down, you know, and, and, you know, I mean, I do them all the time. I just get requests. I lost track at 7,000. It's got to be approaching 10,000 people that have been through this with me. And uh, I never got to meet James Howe. But I've shared the podium with Wally, and he and I have done it several times uh, together. And uh, I just kind of found a home, and I just people keep asking me to come, and I'm I'm too silly not to show up. Hey, Aaron, I'm 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 thinking Carver needs to come up to the harbor as soon as we get this thing rolling. Yeah, I think we need a, a weekend with Carver Brown at the harbor. it would be it would be an honor i just you know wherever i'm requested to go my goal in life is to take as many people through the 12 steps as i possibly can as long as there's a breath in my body that's beautiful that's beautiful well for listeners who want to uh get in touch with you directly is there a way they can do that uh is there a lot of gatekeepers to go through any secret combinations they have to have passwords? No, there's really not. I'm just, you know, you can find my, I'm, I'm about, I have no boundaries. Nate, I have, <laughs> I have no boundaries. It's, I got to learn to have some kind of boundaries in place. No, I don't have, but my gatekeeper at the age of 60, I became a first time dad. And so wow. I'm, I'm 67 with a seven year old. Now that has taken some speed off my fastball, <laughs> but, but, but other than that, no, no, no G- guys can contact me by text, by email. Um, you know, I am Carver at, uh, CAS uh, which is, is short. It's just creative addiction services. It's my little coaching company. So Carver at CASrecovery.com. You can also find me at LifeWorks because I'm mm-hmm. on boarded with Roan and Eva. So guys can contact me through LifeWorks and um, many guys schedule, you know, appointments with me that way. But, and but if, if they want to know where you are doing your, uh, your, your workshops, your whatever, uh, where do they go to find that? You know, I, I don't, I don't, that it just, I, you never know. I, I've got one, I've got one scheduled in Biloxi, and I'm going to be in Monroe, Louisiana. But what I do is I post. I, I am so I'm so bad. I post this stuff on my Facebook page, and so okay. yeah, I post it every time I've got a workshop and they do a flyer. Uh, I post it on Facebook, and then I'll post it again, you know, and everything. And that's the best way. But you can just find me on Facebook. I got. I, I, several thousand friends some of them i know (laughs) (laughs) well another thing is that um carver has quite a few videos on youtube where he goes through some of the back to basic stuff and um 
And I just, I just love listening to Carver's. It's one of my favorite things. I hear Carver's voice playing in my head sometimes. <laughs> he's he's oh. very quotable. Oh, and so okay. Carver quotes just kind of come up. But yeah, if you just Carver, Carver Brown uh, on YouTube, uh, quite a few of his videos will come up. And, and it's a wealth of great recovery information. Elisha, we're going to need to have a, a, a laying on hand session for you to get you, get me out of your head. That, <laughs> that just doesn't sound healthy at all. I'm so sorry. Oh, I, see now I owe an amend. I'm going to have to go back and listen. I to wouldn't it have it any other way. And make I wouldn't an have it any other way, Elisha, Kermit. for being the wormhole in your head. I I hear, I hear, I hear, uh, you know, like you're talking about your cat, Tammy Faye, and, um, you know, all of that. You know, those are just things that come up in my head. Man, I think, Nate, we're going to need to look up these YouTube videos. (laughs) We are, absolutely. (laughs) That's a little little teaser. (laughs) Yeah, there's, it's, it's called Journey Through the Steps, and it's just, if you'll just, just do a, me and Journey Through the Steps. I did it a little over a year ago. It was requested by a group out of Pakistan that wanted me to do that. And I, it, it's living on YouTube. It's been viewed um, in a year. It's been viewed uh, close to 800 times. Nice. I don't know who's, I don't know who's watching it. <laughs> really don't. Nice. Well, it's going to be 801 pretty soon. I will tell you that. <laughs> okay. Okay. Barbara, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. I, can I say one last thing, Nate? What an honor it is. When I was you requested that I do this, I thought, you got to be kidding me. Nate Larkin wants me to oh, come on. Are you kidding me? I, I you what you have done for recovery, what you your gift, your gift of storytelling and teaching. But coupled with your gift of organizational structure and how to build and keep people together is nothing short of astonishing to me. And it is an honor to hold space with you. And any time that I can spend time with you, then I am a better man for it. Well, listeners, we're going to take a brief break to deflate Nate's ego, and we will be right back with you here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Welcome back to the Pirate Monk Podcast. Nate, you doing all right? (laughs) I don't know, man. He was laying it on pretty thick there at the end. But he's, uh, he's that guy's an, he loves affirmation, Carver does. And I, I'll tell you what, yeah. I love it too. Uh, I like to be on the receiving end. He, Carver Brown has a very paternal, soft, yes. loving dad energy about him. Yeah. Well, and I think Carver's uh, one of the most sincere people I have ever met. Yes. So he's not the type of guy who's going to be blowing smoke. And that's... Um, no. That's wonderful about it. He has told me the same things privately uh, on on the occasions when I've uh, met him. And uh, man, so he's he's hung around Wally B. Um, He's he's been around Pat Carnes. And what a wealth of information stories. I want to spend more time with Carver Brown. And I'm 
dead serious about getting him to come up here to the harbor. Oh yeah, no, that sounds, that sounds great. And it yeah. sounds like he's he's on board. He'll say yes to that. So it's great. <laughs> well, he and, the, he and I are the same age, and I don't have a seven year old. Yeah, I just smiling. But you got grandkids <laughs> just just up the road. Yeah. Oh, so, you know, you've you've still got little ones running around your house, but you can send them home. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Nice. Well, listeners, we'd love to hear from you to hear your questions, your feedback, your thoughts. So send us any or all of those things to pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. That's pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. Hey, hey, you know what? I would love to hear. I'd love to hear some amends stories. Uh, and whether it went well or whether it went badly, I'd love to hear a story, a men's story. So if you got the time to write one down, send it to us. At That's pirate monk podcast at gmail.com. That's pirate monk at gmail.com. Hey, Elisha, thank you so much for uh, joining in on this conversation. My and that pleasure. Was a, yeah, yeah. Uh, and what a, a, that was an astute observation about, about the different personalities uh, that not everybody looks at amends the same way. And there are some of us who have a tendency just to go climb up on the cross. Uh, it was a great question. All right. Well, I guess that does it for this episode of the podcast. We got plenty of more content coming up, but until next time, I'm Nate. I'm Aaron. And I'm Elisa. Yeah. And we're your pal on the Pirate Monk Podcast. The Pirate Monk Podcast is produced by members of the Samson Society. Send your feedback or questions to piratemonkpodcast at gmail.com. Please give us a five-star review on iTunes and share the podcast with a friend. For more information, please visit samsonsociety.com.